to our first interview of the morning, though. And this is the online auction of historic photographs of Aotearoa. Another one is taking place this weekend. These are from the Fairfax Archive, the Australian media company, which own titles here such as the Press and the Evening Post, sent 1.4 million images from the photographic archive offshore to be digitised 11 years ago. Might have seemed like a good idea at the time. Turned out to be anything but. The company which was to digitise them went belly up and its owner was jailed on fraud charges. The photos ultimately ended up in the hands of receivers. Now, these were taken by regional Kiwi photographers throughout the 20th century, including images of the royals, of the Springbok tour... Uh, Bastion Point occupation and protests. Now, the new owner, LA-based Daniel Miller, delivered a collection of over 5,000 images of Māori to the National Library in Wellington. Some New Zealand sports organisations have also bought some of the prints, but the rest will be for sale online. There are 166 lots up for grabs this weekend, including pictures of Auckland's original tramway system, the Chatham Islands, also life in New Zealand's military training camps. And Daniel Miller is with us now on Saturday morning. Kia ora, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Susie. Thank you for having me. Just, I suppose, give us a flavour of some of the photographs that are in that archive, some of the ones that stand out to you. Well, it's difficult because you have to take the fact that from 1.4 million, it's every facet of New Zealand life from the last 50 to 100 years. So everything you can possibly imagine that was covered by the news during that period of time is incorporated inside the archive. Nonetheless, there must be some that that do jump out, uh, perhaps particularly some of those ones of things like the Royal Tour of uh, significant moments uh, like the Bastion Point occupation, like the Springbok Tour. They must be pretty extraordinary to be able to hold in your hands. Well, sure. And the, the the downside is I'm not a Kiwi, <laughs> and these belong in Kiwi hands, not in Americans' hands. So that's a for sure. We can talk more about that. But I would say that some of the Edmund Hillary photographs after he summited Everest are extremely interesting. Um, of course, the demonstrations that happened at different times across New Zealand are really socially interesting to me. Um, the transportation around New Zealand, how it grew, how New Zealand grew as an industrial, uh, the industrial revolution that happened in New Zealand mm. in the 1920s. Uh, uh, very interesting to me. The quality of these photographs, um, I mean, obviously, they vary quite substantially in age, but also, uh, I guess some of them are in much better condition than others. Well, the- People have to remember, these are not digital photographs. These are, these are the old school lab made photographs, everyone in this archive. And unfortunately, they're, they're pretty robust, but these were stored at different times very poorly. So uh, photographs are very fragile. And these had a, these had a really rocky ride. So before we're involved, there really were no photographic people, like specific photographic people involved in this. So in order for us to really care for them, we had to bring them into a really climate-controlled environment. And I think we have probably the first climate-controlled environment in the history of these particular photographs. Mm. Give us a quick recap, um, as best you can, on how indeed they ended up in your hands over in the United States. Well, first and foremost, it was a colossal error for these to be ever shipped outside of New Zealand. It was a bad decision, I think, on every front. 
this these this digitization that was that was to be done could have easily be done in New Zealand. And so the fact that they were sent out to me is a travesty. We're we're trying to make uh, uh we're trying to do the best we can getting them back right mm. now. And it's a really complicated project, lots of money, lots of time, lots of labor involved. But my understanding is that in about 2012, a uh, salesperson from the U.S. came and met with Fairfax and told them that they could send these photos to the U.S., get rid of these old photos they didn't understand. They could license them immediately for licensing revenue, and they they would be able to be free of these old photographs. They could sell the warehouse that they were in and sack the people that were working there. And I believe in about 2012, Fairfax was it was the beginning of of a decline for Fairfax. I think they were, they needed every piece of cash they could get, and I think it was a very complicated thing. So I, I can't second guess the management at that time, but apparently the management agreed that this would be the thing that they needed to do to send them offshore to have these processed. And and on that score. <laughs> Does that seem at the time like a reasonable decision to make? Because I guess they were wanting to have them preserved. That's the whole point of having them digitised, right? So that in itself doesn't seem like a bad idea. So where, in your view, did this show poor judgment? Well, hindsight's a lovely <laughs> hindsight is a lovely quality for us to have now to look back at this. But you can't make the um, decisions with hindsight, though, right? So, so at the time, you, you hopefully are making the best decision you can. Well, and again, I wasn't in a meeting. I wasn't involved in this. I was completely unaware of this archive at that time. So I can't, I can't tell you about that. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you for sure is that um, this, the, the the idea of sending them somewhere so far away to have this particular work done when it could have been done with New Zealand labor in a New Zealand soil uh, to me, to me is a travesty that this, that this happened. So I think that um, the decision was likely just one of cash and, and the fact that they thought they could get revenue and they thought this company was tied in to be able to do it. I think that there wasn't maybe enough due diligence in the company they sent them to. Mm. You own them now. How did you come by them? Well, the company that that brought them to the U.S. had an agreement with Fairfax that, in fact, they were going to actually end up owning these particular prints in exchange for sending the digital files back. So... When this actually happened, the company went bankrupt shortly after they arrived. There was a court receiver involved from the bankruptcy courts. And basically, there was a bank that was owed $14 million U.S. against the archive. So the bank wanted their money. Uh, The court receiver was, was basically stuck to try to find a buyer. They looked around a lot. They couldn't find anyone to take these. And they asked me if we'd be willing to consider buying the archive. So what was your outlay for all this? I mean, initially you bought them, but also you've mentioned the storage facility, which I should imagine doesn't come cheap. Uh, it's quite expensive. I, I did sign a couple of agreements with the actual bank that I can't discuss the exact amount, unfortunately. But um, I can tell you that they wanted $14 million US and I wanted to pay less. And so we came up with an agreement. And... Um, we have have not gone to the profit side at all. We're still upside down, as you might say. So it's been a 
about a five-year experiment for us so far. And um, I, I just viewed the the aspect of saving this culture was the most important thing. And secondly, we needed to see if we could break even doing it. To be clear, you are a business. Um, and, you know, hence the auctions. But you say that you want them back in New Zealand hands. I don't know how yeah. deep your pockets are and how far your generosity stretches, but you could just give them back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I could just give them back. The problem is, A, who's going to take them? And, and B, we can't afford to do that because we just can't give our money away. As you say, we're a business. So the fact is that when we do these auctions, we're subsidizing prices that we're offering to institutions. So the auctions have a particular purpose. So we can actually bring material back into the institutions in New Zealand that deserve it and that need this material. We started our journey in Australia about a year and a half before the New Zealand archive. And I'm proud to say we're in about, I think, 75 separate Australian institutions actually have been reunited with their particular specific photographs. And it's a wide range of population there. So I'm not going to rest until we can actually do the same in New Zealand. We just really need to get this work back. But we've got about 4,000 hours, I think, now of time that's been spent in, in unwinding the New Zealand archive. It was really organized pretty poorly when we received it. Mm. So we had to go through a, a long period of actually sorting it and taking care of it and cleaning the photos off. For a time, they were stored in Auckland in an outside storage facility and black mold had really crept over the exterior of the boxes and some of the photos on the, mm. uh, in the storage. It was These just weren't maintained correctly. So what conversations have you had with the New Zealand government about the archive in general? Um, I mean, I know that there have been some specific photographs that are pertinent to Māori that, that have come back. But more generally, you know, is the Ministry for Culture and Heritage willing and able uh, or, or even inclined to actually have some of these photographs returned? Well, I would love if they could figure out some way to do this. Uh, as I've said many times before, if we could find one person or one group to stand up and say, look, we understand, we'd like to take this back. And yes, we know we need to compensate to get it back, but we'd like to get the, this material back to New Zealand. I'd be very happy to do that and sell the warehouse that I had to buy to store these in. So so the fact is, I'm not a Kiwi. These don't belong in my hands. These certainly don't belong in the U.S. These certainly belong back there. So if we can find a pathway to do that, whether that's with public money, private money, whatever we need to do, I'm open for the options. You know, we're doing the best we can. And, and the fact without without us involved, people seem to forget, these probably would have been in a tip by now. Because nobody else stood up. No Kiwi stood up to say, hey, I'm going to help with this. I'm going to do this. It didn't happen. It really came down to us. And that's super unfortunate. But you know what? That's what we have. So that's what we have right now. So we're trying to make the best of it. You're listening to Saturday Morning. Susie Ferguson with you here on RNZ National. My guest is Daniel Miller. We're talking about the Fairfax Archive. Uh, we've had some questions and comments coming into us, actually. And this is um, this is quite a, a specific point, but it is an interesting one that it all kind of turns on in some way. Uh, do the buyers of the photographs, 
bearing in mind that it is a print that you get, do the buyers get copyright? What is the situation there? What control is there over, for example, reproduction or being able to use them in any other way other than having them in a frame? Right. Well, the, these we're selling these simply as collectible historic objects. These are these are that's what they are. We're not selling any copyright because we don't own copyright. So that wasn't part of the actual arrangement. Copyright law is very complex, and within this entire archive, there are probably over a hundred copyright owners. So the fact is that that's not a part of what we do. So no reproduction rights are being sold. Now, someone can buy a photo, they can consult an attorney, and if their solicitor can agree that they can do that, that's fantastic. But that's not, that's, not part of, that's not part of what we do. But that's the same at any auction in the world. Any photo auction in the world, if you buy somebody's photograph, you don't have the ability to reproduce it. So that we're not inventing anything here. Okay, so I mean, this is, um, this is tricky, because I guess you potentially, with each photograph don't even know who retains the copyright well not only do you not know but let's go back to the example i gave if you bought a if you bought a picasso print at an auction you don't have the ability to be able to reproduce it but you're not buying it to reproduce it you're buying it for the value of the piece and that's really the same thing here now, unfortunately, many of these photos are what, what are called orphan photographs, that, that there's nothing marked on the photo in any way to indicate who the author of the photo was. And that's a real problem. And we're trying to resolve that as best we can. But boy, that's, you know, we're talking photos 50 years ago. This is quite, this is quite difficult. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the photographs that are in the collection that is pertinent to Māori and how you went through to be able to, I guess, to sort and to, to catalogue some of those and, and where they have ended up? Well, early on, I made a commitment to make sure that any of the Māori-type material would be returned very very early on and in the archive. And we actually had to have our archivists, there were three people that sorted through these photographs for about two years to actually pull off anything that was Maori from any particular category. Now we had seven different newspapers all sorted in many different categories. So it was a bit of bedlam, honestly. But but basically they went through one photograph at a time and any particular thing that said or had any indication of Maori content, they put in one particular section in the archive. So what I'm really proud of is the fact that because these came from seven newspapers in all walks of life, whether it was engineers, politicians, entertainment people, sporting people, events, areas, towns, basically everything that could be found was put together into one section that never existed before. So the great part of this is we created something that had never been, these photographs never sat next to each other before. So it was quite a powerful collection. And when we were speaking to the National Library, of course, they had, they had a great deal of interest in this. How did you actually go through it? Was it simply archivists in the United States? Did you have Māori input and uh, expertise across this at all? Uh, we, we didn't. It was, it was done in, in the US, but basically each of these photos, I mean, it's a photograph. So 
often it's fairly obvious of the content of the photograph, just looking at the photograph. Sometimes the back has to be read too. But but we, uh, in terms of actually extracting these photographs, we just we just took a broad sweep. Anything that really contained Maori content that we could find specific to the archive, we actually separated and stuck aside. And we've done the same thing in other in other areas of the archive too. For example, um, rugby. Rugby was uh, split across many parts of the archive, and we put it all into one particular section. Uh, the same thing for cricket. We did, you know, we looked all through the archive and put it together. The same thing for artists. They were in many different parts of the archive. We consolidated them together into one section. Now, Maori, of course, to me, is much more important than all those other pieces put together. But um, that that's how we did it. That's how we did this art. You mentioned some of the sports um, and uh, as you went through the archive and have sort of categorised the various uh, different areas of New Zealand life. Um, have some of those organisations wanted to have photographs? I mean, have you approached, you know, for example, New Zealand Rugby and say to them, look, we've got a bunch of pictures. Do you want them back? How are we going to do this? I, I, I've approached New Zealand Rugby maybe a dozen times and, and over the past several years. And we were real close to being able to figure out a way for them to get these photographs back. But for some reason, it just didn't happen. And I don't understand because from the 1924-25 Invincibles, which was an amazing team that won all their matches during that time, to present, we have arguably the best photographic representation of rugby that's ever been seen before in New Zealand. And I want one responsible party to get this back. Maybe it's going to be an institution. Maybe it's going to be a private collector that wants a great archive of rugby. I don't know, but we have tried. I've I've tried with many other institutions. I can tell you one I'm very proud of is Golf New Zealand took the entire history of golf sport back. And they're actually producing a book from it, a second book that they have. Very happy about that. Nepal New Zealand received some of their photographs. Archery New Zealand received an archive of archery photographs that we had. So we're making some headroads. It's just, this is just very slow. I, I had anticipated this was going to be easier. Mm. Just to ask a bit more about the golf photographs, how are they able to produce a book if we don't know where the copyright sits? Well, they, they have to check one photo at a time to be able to clear a copyright. And that's, that's a very... Um, it's laborious, but it's a completely available procedure. That's kind of the normal procedure producing a book with photographs anyway. So one at a time they can check. Now, they're not going to create a book with a thousand photographs in it. They're, they're going to pick and choose what they want from the archive. But the, the due diligence is on them to be able to do that kind of work. Um, there are many uh, lawyers available in New Zealand that can help unwind these mm. kinds of situations. Can you, I suppose, see it from the other side that these institutions, perhaps sporting institutions, for example, um, simply don't have the budget either potentially to buy the archive or indeed to to store it? Because, um, you know, storing and handling images which may be decades and decades old is not something to be undertaken lightly. That's true. And and we've helped each of them understand what they need to do, how they need to do it. I've offered a lot of background support on this particular area. So 
I think the storage isn't necessarily a problem for them. These aren't enormous sections. I think rugby contains about 30,000 photographs. And to the average person, that probably sounds like a lot. To me, it doesn't sound like very much. So the fact is it's conceivably it's conceivable that they could that someone could handle this, an institution could handle this. So there's there's only so much help we can. I'm, I mean, I don't know exactly what I can do aside from basically offer it up and offer it to the most responsible places we can find. Mm. What about some of the sectors that might, or some of the institutions that sit within, for example, the charity sector? Um, because this becomes important regarding things like representation, perhaps of you know historical images of New Zealanders with disabilities, for example. Would you be willing to donate some of the photos to institutions that are charities and, and simply don't have the amount of money, but for the good of the country, the photos return. I think one at a time, we can look at these different options. There, there aren't that many photographs in the category that you're asking about. And, it, and if we found the right fit, I think we would do whatever we could. People people need to realize in this entire archive, there's, there's a sense of entitlement that it's owned by the New Zealand people, which I kind of understand. Mm. What people need to realize, this was never owned in public hands. Mm. This has always been held in in a private for profit business. Always, Fairfax was a was a private for profit business. Mm-hmm. They own this particular archive. It went to another for profit business, and then it ended up with us. So it's a big misunderstanding that these are owned by the people. They maybe they should have been, and I think probably they should not have left New Zealand, and they probably all should have been donated when they stayed in New Zealand to to public entities at that time. You know, we got involved very late in this whole thing. We were the last player in on this entire thing, and when I look back at it, I thought it was going to be really easy to just be able to bring the entire archive back to one entity. <laughs> I had no idea. We're going to have to open our own auction house to do that, to help along with this. So that came a year ago and some change that we actually needed to open an auction house to be able to subsidize what we're doing. I mean, I had to replace the roof on the warehouse. I had to acclimatize the warehouse and I had to buy a warehouse. I had to hire staff. So this is all, these are all very fixed costs that we needed to do to be able to take care of this material. To me, it was really important to take care of the material. And hopefully we could figure out the details after. And hence hence the auctions, and auctions really help us. So every New Zealander that bids at an auction, even if they bid just for one photograph, that, that just helps our mission. That helps us to try to get these back in sections into public hands as we can. I do want to talk about the auctions, which I will in a moment. I'm interested, though, because... Uh... Australia, you've had a slightly different experience dealing with the Australian archive because Fairfax, as people may remember, was uh, an an Australian company and and there was a a section of it in New Zealand. Um, When you've been contacting institutions in Australia about whether they would like to have these photos for their archive, what kind of response have you had? Well, it's been very favourable. Um, and I can tell you from across the board, we've had just a very wide variety of institutions that have taken their images back and understand the importance of the heritage. Again, this is, these aren't reproduced by us. There's one piece and that's it. So 
we don't, you know, the, when this Maori section went to the National Library, that's the Maori section. Now, I've committed, as we discover more photos here and there, we're going to be able to try to supply them to the library, too, if they want them. But the fact is that that's it. We don't have an ongoing enterprise here. Our enterprise is to sell the warehouse. So our enterprise is to shrink this archive down to find responsible homes. In Australia, we we started two years before New Zealand, so we had a bit of a, a bit of a um, head start. But there was only one newspaper, the Sydney Morning Herald. The problem with the Kiwi collection here, the, the New Zealand collection, is the fact that there were seven different newspapers. Each were filed separately and differently. So each of them had different ways that they, they they considered the archive. And we had to create that into one section because we had seven different sections on mountaineering, for example, or seven different sections on rugby, or seven different sections on everything. And it was untenable. We couldn't find anything. So this is what took hours and hours, a couple of years of work, actually, to create this into one thing that can be understood. So the auctions then, uh, you've got more lots coming up this weekend. Um, we do. Tell we do. me a bit about what is on offer, what sorts of things people would be able to bid for. Well, I, I found it really interesting that the, um, and I don't, I'm not a historian on the on the tramway system in Auckland, but I found it really interesting about when it was dismantled. I don't know exactly why, and it seems like it was kind of a shame from what people are telling me because Today, it might have been in good use. But the fact is that this tramway system existed for maybe, I don't know, 50 years or so. And and, uh, we have basically the history of the trams, the tramways being built, the trams running, and the trams being disassembled. And I think it's a historical, it's a quite historical moment. Uh, There's only about 50 photos, I believe, in this category. So there's not a lot of material. There's only, I think, 160-some photos in the auction, not a lot of material. We also have uh, in the auction, there's four categories. We have uh, the architects, some interesting architect portraits of uh, New Zealand, known architects that are in New Zealand. There's a few dozen photographs like this. Uh, we have the Chatham Islands, some really interesting photographs of the Chatham Islands that are that have been previously unseen. And so I think anybody that has particular interest in that area, there's some really great material. Uh, and then we round out with military training camps in the 1930s in New Zealand. And some of these photographs are just really spectacular. And these were prints that were made back in the 1930s. These are beautiful, beautiful prints when silver content was higher in a silver gelatin photograph. Uh, and the photographs really just had more, um, more luster, more, more, they just, they, they were just better prints, better depth of the prints actually. Mm. So there's some really terrific material between those four sections, this terrific material. And our objective is to auction every month, different sets of work to just put these different things together. Now, mind you, this is 160 some photos out of 1.4 million. So our auctions in the next several years will be less than 1% of the entire archive. And again, our objective is to use those to be able to help our operations so we can send 10, 20, 30,000 photographs at a, at a pop to different institutions of different categories. The sorts of prices that these are going for, I think it's $80 is the bottom bid, um, low thousands of dollars, also uh, some of the bottom 
bids there, for, depending on the photograph, depending on, I guess, the, the quality and, and what it depicts. Um, you've been selling these before. How popular are these auctions? Like, For example, what sort of proportion of sales of previous auctions haven't sold? Well, I can tell you that during the pandemic, we worked with an auctioneer in uh, Auckland, and um, auctions were incredibly popular during the pandemic because people couldn't get out. So bidding was very high across every auction company in New Zealand specifically. So some of our auctions did incredibly well. We we sold photographs for $10,000, $20,000 a piece, some of the rare ones, some of the more interesting particular pieces. We've just started this auction company a year and some change ago, so we're brand new at it. So the prices are much lower that we're selling these particular pieces for. So you're right. The average is $80 to maybe $200 New Zealand per photograph. So compared to the thousands we were selling some before, this is, um, I suppose you'd say it's a pretty good deal. Um, how would many you, we would sell? You for- say, would you say it's a pretty good deal, though? Because I guess... Um- you know, if your costs are uh, sunk at this point, you've bought the archive for less than $14 million, though I don't know how much less, um, right. and you've got the ongoing costs of the warehousing and the staff. Correct. How is this going to make your money back? Well, um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't have a, a certain plan in this area. <laughs> At the time, the plan was not to lose any money to do it, and to uh, and to to really try to save the photographic history of a country. So my first plan was that seemed to be really important, and I really thought these other details would just work themselves out. Would just work themselves out. Honestly speaking, I just assumed a. New Zealander along the way or a couple or a group would come in and help support us and just help take this over. I think my happiest day would be to move the entire archive into a great facility in New Zealand and have this to completely managed and owned in New Zealand hands. I know there's a couple of new museums that are happening. There's a fantastic new entertainment museum in Wellington is opening. And I'm sure hoping they're going to want to take some portion of the entertainment here because we have all of the movies all of the entertainment people from New Zealand for the past hundred years or so, they're in the archive. Yeah, I mean, so have, I'm hope- have, have oh, you contacted I'm- someone like Sir Peter Jackson, the film director? Well, I, I don't know, Peter, uh, but if you do, I, I'd love it if you gave me his phone number because I'd like to call him and ask him about it. But but uh, I, I think he seems to be in a particularly good place, perhaps from the entertainment side, to be able to buy it. But I don't have any direct contact, but mm. boy, I, I, I would sure welcome a dialogue with them. Just finally, um, it sort of sounds like perhaps you ended up biting off more than you can chew with this. <laughs> Do you have any regrets <laughs> well, about taking the New Zealand archive? Uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. And some days I feel really great when we find, when we get beautiful emails in about people appreciating what we did and how we did it. And uh, some days when we get emails on the other side of people are just assuming this is public property and what were we doing and how, why are we doing this? And, uh, I, I would say that, um, it, if I had to do it again, I would, I would really sit back and, and really have to look at this because I just assumed that this was going to be an easier, an easier battle. And it is a bit of a battle. And I think in the next few years, 
I, my suspicion is we're going to start doing a lot better. Our auctions are really coming alive. They're really helping us move this along. It's paying for the costs of us actually maintaining the archive now. And to me, that's super important. And what we're relying on, we're relying on your listeners. You're relying on your listeners to be able to ask their friends to say, hey, why can't we get together a group of successful business people, four or five people to put this whole thing back in New Zealand? Why can't we do this? Why can't we at least have a dialogue to be able to do this? Like, like I've said, it would be my happiest day to have this in New Zealand hands where it should be, all of this material. Really appreciate you talking to us today on Saturday morning. That is Daniel Miller talking there about the Fairfax archives. If you want to take a look at that and uh, indeed maybe if you want to go and buy one of the photographs, bid dot the fairfax archives dot co dot nz is the website uh, indeed if you google it if you google fairfax archives you will come across it daniel miller thank you very much for your time and for being with us this morning on saturday morning lots and lots of you getting in touch on this crikey give this guy new zealand citizenship matty says he seems to care for our heritage more than we do robert says golly this american is a good man i sure hope he gets his bucks Another one uh, saying, I'd like to say a genuine thank you to this American man and his company. It seems woeful nobody in this country tried to save the archive. Uh, Understanding his motivation to save the photographic archives from Australia and New Zealand is interesting. Um, Certainly also many people saying these photos didn't belong to anyone else but New Zealand. They should be returned. This This is the wrinkle, isn't it? This is the thorny bit where... They were indeed the property of a private company of Fairfax, um, so technically not not owned by New Zealand. So it's a, a certainly a tricky one indeed.